Hey there, RSL Nation. Welcome in. Latest episode, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. I am Trey Fitzgerald, joined today by super producer, as always, Ryan Hale. And our guest is a guy that maybe some of the fans know. It's going to be interesting to see the feedback we get from this episode. But Kiros Louder is a guy that has been around the club or around MLS circles in a few different iterations, mostly as a videographer. Uh, Kiros has moved back to Salt Lake City. He's a massive RSL fan, and so we talk a lot with him about the perception of the club from around the league, uh, from his time in Portland working as a video uh, journalist and editor uh, for Major League Soccer and for uh, the Portland Timbers as a freelancer. And it's just a fun conversation to get in uh, with Kiros regarding the passion that he feels for the game, the love he has for this club, and how, again, technology, social media, uh, messaging, marketing, advertising, how we all consume uh, those images that emanate every weekend from uh, from the stadium. So uh, we'd love your feedback on this. We definitely want to hear your views on our guests. Uh, we want your guest ideas. We want your constructive criticism or your compliments. And you can always message us over at anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter, as many of you already have, at claret cobalt. And you can drop us a voice memo uh, via email to rsltray at gmail. Com. Without further ado, here is the latest Bleeding Claret and Cobalt with RSL superfan, we'll call him today, Kiros Lau. All right, welcome back in Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hill here with you and honored to be visited today here in our Mountain Air studio by Kiros Lauder and RSL Nation. I think many of you know Kiros, but um, he's got such a unique path to his current iteration, I will say, of RSL fandom. And Kiros, thank you for being here. Obviously, we want to, I think, retrace your path a little bit here, uh, where your passion for this club and your connection to Major League Soccer and, and RSL comes from. But um, to kind of kick that idea off you and I first met probably I don't know 10 years ago it might have been right after the championship season where we were we were were trying to figure out how to do some uh, video documentation and uh and you you came down to Sandy I I feel like it was right after we moved in the stadium but it's all a massive blur to me yeah first thanks for having me of course uh when you asked me to come on I thought who would want to hear from little old me but yeah I, th- I think it was actually yeah it's 11 years ago okay it was i think it was uh, about february march of 2010 okay right after the the championship so i threw a blind dart and i was in, were, the, in the ballpark yeah yeah it might have been earlier okay. it might have been before the championship but okay i mean we really got started that season in 2010 um i was wrapping up film school mm. and uh, a big soccer fan big rsl fan and thought how can i combine these two passions yeah um and you know we're lucky enough to have a club right here and um 
yeah, came to you, said, all right, I do video. I know soccer. Right. Um, what can I do? And, you know, you just had me sort of run around with a camera for, <laughs> for a little while. And then, um, then eventually I got connected. Um, this was, I mean, I, I did games off and on that season, okay. um, which was one of RSL's best, re- you know, best regular For seasons, sure. 2010. Um, unfortunately, you know, playoffs didn't go great, but then leading into the knockout rounds of, uh, of Champions League. Right. Uh, I came back after the break and said, how can I help? And, and at that point, I think um, you guys had made some hires and had a little more help on the video end. But you connected me with Scott Riddell, who's now a you know a Fox producer, but at the time was doing video for our uh, Major League Soccer. And uh, yeah, you got, you connected me with him. I did some. Thankfully, RSL kept winning, and so yeah. <laughs> he kept coming back. And he did the really you know he was producing the really cool behind the uh, behind the scenes Concacaf documentary for MLSsoccer.com. Yeah, Scott's a magician, an artist, and I mean I think you are as well with the camera, but. Um, those Champions League 360s are are still, I think, some of the most beloved content, and we'll get into this as we, as we talk over the next little bit. But, um, and so that gave you some exposure, obviously, to MLS and yeah. So I mean, originally I just wanted to do video for RSL. Um, it was a kind of a funny crossroads, 2010, because I needed a, a job. You know, I was uh, out of film school. I wanted to go down to L.A. I had a uh, TV pilot that was really close to getting produced down there. And then um, there were some circumstances that basically forced me to either move down there, take, right. the, take the leap and move down there, or stay and sort of get just get a normal job, a corporate job. Um, I ended up staying and getting a corporate job just to have something stable. Sure. Uh, again, I, I was about to have my first child the classic so, artist dilemma right yeah exactly um and so that's what sort of set my life down more of the corporate path but i was you know as you mentioned i got connected with mls and so even doing corporate video and film work um was always doing stuff for the league mm-hmm. um yeah after doing that stuff with scott he said hey do you want to go to dallas and shoot some stuff at this uh um what was that called they had the young kids, Sueño at the Sueño. Oh staff. right, Sueño MLS. Yeah, yeah. Sueño MLS. So I did that for a week, and then you know eventually I just became one of their go-to contractors for, um, you know, video production, editing, all that stuff. I've been doing that for ten years, and um, yeah, it's taken me kind of all over. But you know, as time is a yeah. flat circle, here I am <laughs> back. How would you say like, that the art of storytelling with video with a camera has changed over ten years, especially with the decrease in attention span, right? The rise of social media, because I remember whether it was you or Lamping or Gibbons and Riddell, like I loved a four, five or six minute video, which now seems like, you know, war and peace or whatever, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) whatever the old Hollywood version is of a, you know, a 16 hour movie or whatever, right? Because we're so used now to consuming things in, in uh, 30 seconds, basically, in an IG reel or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, TikTok. How would you kind of philosophically describe that that shift and that change and how it how it ties into how clubs and leagues and brands service fans? I think there's been a fundamental shift in 
filmmaking, video making, um, 2020 notwithstanding, sure. because it's it was a very unique year, obviously, you know, movie theaters were shut down and everything was kind of shifted over to streaming. It seems like before you had, you had a lot of room for those three, four, five minute videos, talking head things. And this was even before podcasts became mm-hmm. a big deal, you know? But now it feels like it's it's either got to be 10 to 15 seconds or you're going to have several hours of mm. content. There's not really a place for this medium format storytelling, kind of like like Scott's uh, CONCACAF 360, the Champions right. 360 thing, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's given a lot of opportunity to sort of um, amateur or, I don't want to say amateur, but, but incoming talent to... Sure make some really cool stuff. Obviously, social media changed a lot mm-hmm. in the last 10 years, going from longer Facebook highlight videos into Vines, into, yeah. you know, now we're accustomed to seeing these 15, 30, 60 second highlights on Instagram. If we're, you know, if we're not getting the full game in 60 minutes, nobody's going to watch the highlights, right? So it's, as technology has evolved, there's, at least in my mind, there's been a need for, ultra high quality highlights, ultra ultra high quality storytelling. And then on the other side, immediate, fast, quick mm. storytelling, yeah. right? So technology's gotten so much better. The cameras that, that we shoot with now are incredible, right? Um, and so it's it, to me, it, it creates this strange dichotomy. Um, and I do wish there was a little bit more demand for those smaller stories mm. but it's like if you don't have a an hour-long podcast or video podcast or even like a netflix series yeah, that's sure. that's you know like sundered until i die or yeah. even like the f1 series um where you're really getting behind the scenes of these big things then it's hard to keep people's interest so i'm hoping that that can kind of return um because i do miss i do miss those videos those those you know five or six minute long interviews behind the scenes things yeah um and I'm hope yeah I'm hoping that kind of makes it come back as people kind of get tired of these flash in the pan six second fifteen second you know yeah sure videos how um how would you say kind of again along the similar lines but how would you say your RSL fandom both grew and emerged but also there were probably times where when you were working for the league or when you were up in Portland and I'm not certain of how official your relationship was with the Timbers or not, but where you kind of had to check that, that RSL fandom at the, at the door a little bit. So I, I, my first RSL game was in 2007, okay. I want to say. Yeah. Uh, might've been 2008. When did the stadium open? When did Rio well, stadium opened October of 08. Okay. So it would have been 2007. Um, at Rice Eccles, uh, sort of just went on a whim, uh, came back from Brazil. I spent time in Brazil and really fell in love with the game. I was yeah. there, I was there during the 06 world cup okay. and just, Learn. I played in high school, and you know I grew up with soccer. But I grew up playing all the sports. You know, hockey, basketball, and um, soccer was just one of the sports. Right. Mm. Never had a huge passion for it until I went to Brazil. Really learned the so game. So you're in Brazil during the 06, during the 06 World, 06 World Cup, Cup in Germany. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> um, Did the country just kind of shut down? For... It's 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 unreal, um, especially that first game yeah. when they played uh, Croatia. Yeah, everything shuts down. I was in this tiny little town, uh, probably like 4,000 people, mm. right? Little town. It was a little like um, agricultural town. And 
you could hear the game anywhere you were. So I was walking down the streets, um, going to a house that was sort of on the other side of town when the game started. And I was able to follow the game passing by people's windows, yeah. either seeing it on TV or hearing <laughs> it on the radio. And then when Kaká scored the goal, the whole town just like rises up mm. in this swell of cheering. Yeah. Uh, it was really unlike anything I've, I've ever experienced. Um, and then all the games, you know, like even the banks shut down. Okay. It's, it's like an, it's, it's crazy. Um, and that passion is just for Brazil games or for all games? Just for Brazil games, okay. but even the other games yeah. people have on and they're listening. Sure. And then especially, you know, when you get so to... like US Ghana, was that one of the that games? That was one of the 06? games. Uh-huh. Was that a quarterfinal? No. Or a round US, of US got knocked out in the group group round oh, of that one. Okay. That was when they tied Italy, who obviously went on to win. Um and I remember hearing about I, I couldn't actually watch any of the USA games because okay. I was doing other stuff, but um, I caught like bits and pieces of the Italy game and then I saw they tied them. Um, and that was pretty cool because I got to brag to all my Italian friends that, <laughs> hey, you know, Italy only didn't win one game and that was against the U.S. That's right. Um, and of course, Brazil got knocked out by by France and that was, it was like a national mm. tragedy. I mean, people were crying in the streets. But yeah, it was, it was tragic. And then obviously all the, the drama of the semifinals and the finals. Yeah, it was just really infect. It, it, it infected me with that love uh, of of football, the love of soccer. So coming back yeah. and not having that on a national scale, but being able to at least sure. get a part of that here locally um, was fantastic. And then, you know, that grew and you know, working with RSL, following more closely the U.S. Mm-hmm. men's national team. Yeah, that so that passion grew sort of alongside my mm-hmm. my uh, relationship with RSL and with MLS. And, you know, now it's it's a huge part of my life. So um, going up to, you know, so I spent time here, eventually got a corporate job up in Portland mm-hmm. and was still doing stuff at the league, was still traveling. Um, that's actually when I met, when I met Dunny. Yeah. Um, we did that road trip, like kickoff. Oh, I remember. To, yeah, that whole season kickoff thing. I think it was in 2011. Okay. Um, um, I think 2012, actually. I, what was the name of the reporter that was with you guys? I think she does, like, Pac-12 basketball now. Uh, Drea. Drea, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we started down in, I think, down in Tucson at the the training down there, the yeah. preseason the preseason tournament down there. Yeah, and then Dunny and I hopped in a Volkswagen and <laughs> drove to Phoenix. Then we drove to L.A. and all the way up to San Jose <laughs> got a speeding ticket somewhere along the <laughs> along the way and and um yeah went to portland and then hit seattle i can't remember where the season opener was at, at that point i know that we were there for the rsl la opener mm. where rsl won i think three to one and um and i i'm pretty sure i called that score before the game as we were walking in me you and dunny okay um <laughs> i was like i think i think rsl is gonna win this like three to one and then after that, you gave me some nickname like Nostra Caros or something like that. <laughs> um, that was about the only time I've ever predicted a score. There you go. Well, now now that betting is legal and <laughs> widely available, you need to uh, channel that. No, it's uh, yeah, I do enough I knew it, do enough betting on the stock market. Heavens, um, <laughs> that's a separate podcast. Yeah, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, so I moved up to Portland still involved I, it's funny because i'd actually my buddy was up there and i'd been to portland before because mm. i went up for an rsl game i did i just wanted to, yeah. um it was colluder and and you we i was going to be up there okay um visiting my buddy who i ended up working with over there and we did 
the the RSL Portland game. That was my first time to the park up there, and I loved it. Little did I know that I'd be moving there a couple months later. Um, but I had applied for a job with the, with the Timbers. They're, they're sort of video producer job. Right. Didn't hear anything back. Eventually got this corporate job. Moved there, and about two or three months later, I get a call from Matt Smith, yeah. who um, at the time I think was their communications director, and he's like, "Hey, yeah, you know, do you want to come do the video thing?" And the pay wasn't wasn't going to be as good, and I was already doing contract work with the league, and yeah. I was like, I, "I don't think I can." But could I freelance? Can I just come help you out? And yeah. that's sort of where that relationship began. So I was at, I was doing all of their post game recaps for both the Timbers and the Thorns, on the field every game, um, for that's awesome. three years. Um, it's funny because when when Portland came into the league, I don't think people really knew, especially people here, knew mostly most of the people around the league. I don't think knew what Portland, Seattle, and Vancouver offered because of. Their NASL history, they're they're just massive, kind of ingrained cultural love of soccer that dates back to the mid '70s and the NASL. But I remember the first time I went up to to Portland with RSL, playing in that kind of remodeled baseball stadium that really reminded me a lot of growing up in Albuquerque and going to basketball games at the Pit, where you walk in on street level and then you go down. And even when the Timbers were not a great team like the the fans are incredible right the way the timbers army you know waits the days before the game and you know for the lottery to get into that one end or whatever for 3000 tickets but i've always compared it to the you know mad max beyond thunderdome which just dates me <laughs> for how old i am but it's the thunderdome and i just for you as a as a fan as a storyteller as a you know kind of growing um emerging uh I, I don't want to do you just saying you're a videographer doesn't do you justice, but um, having that background and like the Thorns games were great. Like I didn't know anything about NWSL until until I think I kind of stumbled into a Thorns game that happened to be going on while we were in Portland. And who knew that a few years later we were going to have the NWSL here in Utah. But um, what an amazing energy, atmosphere, vibe to kind of have probably subconsciously set the tone for for your duties, right? How does that work? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting way to, to phrase it. I, I've had the chance to, you know, I've been really lucky with my time with the league to be able to go to a lot of stadiums all across the country. Uh, I haven't been to an LAFC game yet. I know that their Stadium's incredible. stadium is amazing, and I know that their environment is incredible. There is nothing in pro sports that compares to a Portland Timbers game. When you're on the field, it is immense. And I haven't even been to a game with the new, um, you know, the new triple deck on the the far side. Yeah. This was before that, but it was still, it's, it's an energy that, you know, I've been to a packed game in Seattle and it's, it's just an NFL, it's an NFL stadium. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's great. There's a lot of people and it's a great environment. Other stadiums, other stadiums, great but there is a raw it's 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 incredible yeah and And i think it comes from them you just feel like the crowd's right on top of you yeah and i remember when we were building rio tinto stadium you know we talked a lot with with dave checkets and the architects about you know because you had to excavate what is what is the east side of rio tinto stadium and 
the interesting thing I learned during that process is, you know, Dave very much came to this, you know, with a European sensibility because of his time with the NBA International and his relationships in Madrid and, and other places. But the hard thing, especially when we were going through how are we going to finance the stadium, the infrastructure, all that stuff, every one degree of steepness, which is probably not the right word, but it, that you have on a on a stand at that time, this is, you know, going on 14 years ago, 13 years ago when we were building the stadium, every one degree is a million dollars. Because of the excavation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and because of just the, the angle and how that affects everything. It's probably $3 million now or whatever, you know, as you look at these billion-dollar stadiums yeah. being built. But because um, Dave very much wanted that that same kind of feeling at Rio Tinto that the fans would be on top of you. And obviously when, when Rio Tinto is full, um, maybe it's not quite the Thunderdome like, like Portland is, which has been remodeled five times since 1928 or whenever <laughs> it was built. But um, – you know what is what is your favorite memory of of either as a fan or a fan on contract with the league or somebody else shooting uh, an event or, or two at Rio Tinto? What are some of those moments that stand out for you? Yeah, so Portland is fantastic. I was always an RSL fan. This kind of answers one of your earlier questions. I was always an RSL fan, and you know Matt and Brian and the guys I worked with at the Timbers knew it, and they would razz me because <laughs> when RSL came into town, they would they'd be like, hey. Make sure you're shooting the right team, okay? Yeah. You know, don't get distracted. Yeah. Remove that uh, claret and cobalt scarf. Yeah. And um, and so I never found myself just fully like invested in the Timbers, which I mean I was yeah. from a work standpoint, and it was fun to be there when you know when they won the championship, and you know be part of that whole parade and and all the celebrations. But my heart was always here in Salt Lake. This is this is my soccer club. Yeah. Right. Um, some people choose European clubs to follow or get. I'm an MLS about. snob. I've I've been I, an I, unabashed MLS snob for my whole life. Honestly, I am too. It doesn't make sense to me to support a club that you. I, if you grew up with a club, that's fine. But I yeah. feel like you support your local club. You know, um, Rio Tinto is very unique because it amplifies. In my mind, it amplifies the audience. I've been in game. I've been to games here where there've been. Who was what was that club when we were making the Champions League run? Uh, I think Arabe Unido. Arabe Unido. Yeah, remember, remember that that home game? Uh, yeah, it's Probably, funny. There was only nine or ten thousand. Yeah, people it was. There. It was not a full stadium. Right. Probably nine or ten thousand. I've there's it's only the been famous a, stretcher game. Yeah, I can't remember. I was I was in the stands that game just as a, as yeah. a fan. Um, I don't remember an environment that crazy yeah, it was it, electric it, it, it was funny right I, I having a half full Rio Tinto but having this very unique opponent in a tournament that nobody really knew about with them diving all over the place having nine minutes of stoppage time in the second half and you're right I remember it was like um it was the emergence let's say of of a, of a rabid uh aspect of the fan base right that was I don't know. I have so many memories at Rio Tinto. Um, Top I was, five, go. <laughs> I mean, the Champions League final, there's never been an environment sure. like that. Um, I was filming with Scott, so I was up in the in the camera position up on the high sideline, right? Okay. Um, I've never 
been that broken mm. by a result and having those ups and downs during that game um that it's still one of my favorite experiences sure um being a fan but also working the game so so, so trying to stay focused so just but also staying in that game what sticks out was it fabian missing Honestly, and it's none of the it's not it's none of the misses. Was it Will Johnson uh, throwing his his uh, second place medal into the trash? That was pretty good. <laughs> it's before the game started. Yeah, I mean, it must have been fifteen or twenty minutes before before kickoff. It was packed yep. full, standing room only. And I think that was the moment where, because I'd been a fan since two thousand seven. Yeah. I mean, not it's not ancient history, right? But. Right. I had I had visions of what it could have been, but, but and think, everyone did. Think but, about how f- much changed in three years, right? Oh, absolutely. Or three and a half. So you go from 2007 Rice Eccles, where Jason just took over early season from Ellinger, and you know Rice Eccles was just a hard place for us to conduct business, much less play the game. Yeah, it's never meant. And for then soccer. and then three and a half years later, you're you're hosting Monterey, and like you said, I mean. Having that place packed that early for national international TV, um, and we did some kind of stunt, I guess, before the game where we had the alternating red and blue ribbons going up the whole. Yeah, that's the image. East that kind side, of, yeah, that lasts I mean, in my mind. That ended up being like our season ticket holder gift, where the those posters, like it was just it was spectacular. That image has stayed with me. Um, the image of Kyle after the game mm. um, is always, you know, hurts my heart in a suit. Consoling uh, Sabo. Yeah. Um, I was on the field filming for MLS in, um, was it 2013 or 2015, when when we beat the Galaxy here at home? Um, Schuler's, Chris Schuler's header. Oh, yeah, that was uh, 13. Yeah. So I was here here for that one. Yeah, that was the first first series in the playoffs. Um, Yeah, when Chris Shul... That happened right right in front of me. And then he, like, flexed in front of the South End. That was amazing. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, I was here for Will Johnson's goal of the year. Mm. Um, That was the second game at Rio Tinto. Yeah, it was incredible. Uh, That that was one of the... Well, (laughs) one of the best goals I've ever seen live. I was there for a few in Portland. David Beckham's Mm. insane goal performance there but um I, as a fan uh, during that during the the cup run i was yeah. here for the leg against columbus with that one was more just personal because i was with a bunch of yeah friends and family we were up in the up in the second deck and feeling like underdogs and being able to like play columbus off the field mm. on that first leg was was incredible um and that was that was one of the first times where it felt like hold on we might actually like have a chance to win a championship here in, in Utah. That's pretty cool. I have a lot of personal memories, like sure. with with some of the guys. Yeah. Um, times where I've got to spend time, like with you and Dunny and, and Jason, during that road trip, where right. you know, hanging around the fire pit, just chatting. You know, those are just as important. Yeah. And it's funny being so involved on the league side. You start to. I'm I'm always going to be an RSL fan. Sure. But you start to root for teams less and less. Mm. Um, and you start to root for the guys. Yeah. And sure. I'm sure you've experienced this as yeah. well, right? You get to know a lot of these guys, whether they're players or coaches, and you just like to see them succeed. You yeah. Know? So like having Will come over to Portland and, and Nat. Yeah. Um, it was awesome because, you know, I'm cheering for those guys here at Rio Tinto, but then I also got to cheer mm-hmm. for them uh, in Portland. 
And so that's been one of the more rewarding parts of my involvement with the league and yeah. my involvement uh, with the club here is getting to know some of these players and some of these coaches and people, obviously people in the front office um, and getting to watch them succeed has been, has been really gratifying and rewarding. And um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm the same with you, man. I'm an RSL snob. I mean, yeah. I'm an MLS snob. I just love watching the league grow. I'm, sure. I'm cheering for all the new teams and every new stadium that's built. It's awesome. And so as you've, return to Utah you've seen this club grow really fast right when you add you know the USL team uh, in the Monarchs you add the NWSL and you add the academy facility out in Harriman what do you hear from your friends still in Portland around the league um, your friends here that are also RSL fans about um, you know it's a club that's that's grown hasn't had the kind of success on the field under, you know, Weibel, Pecky, uh, now Elliot, Freddie, et cetera, um, you know, that, that we all enjoyed in the heyday. But, you know, 2019, the team did finish third in the West. 2018 and 19, you knock off LAFC, who seemed to be the league's darlings, right, um, from, a, from a content and media standpoint, for sure, since their inception. Um, what is that view that you, that you hear? What kind of feedback are you getting from, I don't know, whoever, um, whether it's the guys at the league or, or, you know, about where RSL's at now? And my follow-up to this part of our conversation would be, what are some of the things that you would like to see whoever the next owner is as we go into RSL 4.0? What does that look like? Yeah, so... I think I, I offer a bit of a unique perspective as a as a marketing professional in the you know corporate world and mm-hmm. the, the way that I've worked in my professional life, but then also being a uh, you know a contractor with the league and with the teams and having that soccer experience sort of coincide. Yeah. Watching RSL build the infrastructure over the last couple of years, um, it's there's a whole lot of optimism. I feel like personally and i think a lot of people feel like the team has overachieved on the field mm. i know we didn't have a great year last year but with the players and the, i don't know that any one of the mls teams really feel it because it was such a crazy year yeah anyway, last sorry year, to no it's true like i mean columbus to me was was the best team last year you could argue you know maybe i just wonder how it'll be remembered though because it's such a disjointed year right like you have yeah you have the delays, you have the bubble in Orlando, you kind of have the stops and starts. Like, I, I don't know. For me, that's hard for me because I was working, <laughs> I was working those games, you know, four nights a week. And so I feel like, no, I feel like there was definitely a lot of soccer last year. Yeah, okay. But it was strange. I think there's going to be an asterisk on any of these championships, you know, whether it's NHL, NBA, mm. MLS, um, even, you know, even this year's football uh, NFL championship, right? Yeah. But the the sentiment that I that I hear most often is is sort of this this delayed optimism. Everyone, it seems that I talk to and that um, that I've interacted with is so excited about the infrastructure, um, having a USL team that you know it's one year removed from a championship right. in the second division. There is this optimism. But it seems like it's always like like it's just about to burst, right? It's just about to really break through. And, and RSL is poised 
to be the premier pathway for professionals, right? And it's almost like next year is when it's really going to show. And then next year, it's, yeah. it's, it's really close. And so there's a sense that everything's there. And now it's just a matter of time. It's either, you know, it's, I don't know if it's sort of just harnessing what we've got. You know, I think, I honestly feel like we're very, very, very close. We've already seen, you know, Aaron Herrera yeah. playing for the U.S. national team. Yeah. Players that are starting to come out of the academy, starting to come up through the RSL infrastructure. Well, it's and funny. It's just, while, man, while it's just a there, matter of time. It's really close. Like, I know that our academy has not had that big sale like we've seen. I mean, Dallas is like a like a conveyor belt right now to mm-hmm. Europe. But, you know, the Red Bulls have had some big transfers. Philadelphia recently. Yeah, Philadelphia yeah. has done great in the last year or so. RSL hasn't had that big money transfer. But, and maybe this is part of my my bias and looking at the world through claret and cobalt colored glasses, but I'm glad, like, when I look at the senior roster, when I look at the Monarchs roster, seeing so many familiar academy products there. Oh, it's awesome. And, you know, I talked about this, I think, with Tony and Elliot a little bit, um, you know, last month on the podcast where, you know, I'm the guy that when we signed Justin Gladden, Jordan Allen, I'm telling Weibel, like, this is awesome. I hope these guys are with us for 15 years. I think our fans are going to freak out when we sell them. Now, the the intelligence of the fan base and the understanding of how the world of soccer works and how it's changed where I think you could sell a young academy product and, and fans are more like, okay, how much do we get for them as opposed right. to, well, that's a hole in our lineup now for the next whatever. I think seeing that trend league-wide yeah. has definitely changed the perception among all the fans, and not just fans, but, you know, the media. And um, it's made people realize, like, yeah, you can have a competitive team, you can have a competitive club while still selling assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, going back to your earlier question, when RSL finds that new ownership that's that's right, yeah. um, and I really do feel like it'll be the right I don't think it's going to be rushed, and I think I, I have a lot of faith in the league mm-hmm. and in all the parties involved that it's going to be the right situation. You know, it's going to be the right situation. You might be the first person I've ever heard say that they have a lot of faith in the league. I mean, the league's just an easy target. No, I know. I'm I know. just teasing. But, but I really do feel like I feel optimism on that side, and my hope is that they that the ownership group can come in, see ways that are very worthwhile to spend, mm. and you know whether that's um, staff um, spending on the roster if needed um, stadium upgrades or Mm. whatever it is like there's a lot of places we could spend money but I also feel like having a philosophy of developing talent holding on to what we can and essentially becoming the premier North American pipeline for young players Mm. to jettison their careers Mm -hmm. they might stay with RSL, you know, like Justin yeah. Glad is a fantastic player sure. who certainly could have probably moved overseas and had a good career over there and probably still will at some point. But yeah, I would love to see him here for 15 years. Right. Um, I mean, can you believe he's 23 and he's still only played? Yeah, it's... Or it's, he's only 23. He's played 160 games for RSL. Yeah. Like, it's insane. It's hard. To, it's with And with defenders, you know, it's not like, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys are getting bought and loaned mm-hmm. and, and traded when they're 25, 26. Um, 
but I, I hope that the new ownership can come in, see all the infrastructure, see the fan base, see the, the, the brand of RSL mm. and not just go with the flow and say, oh no, we're a team. We're going to try to compete in MLS, but say, no, you know what? We could be a global brand yeah. for development. Um, you know, when you, when you think about Europe, what club comes to mind in terms of creating and developing players? Ajax. Ajax, right? They still win championships. Yeah. It's not like they sell all their best players. Sure. They win championships. And then they sell their And guys. then they sell their and they're guys. they're still 19, 20, 21, right. 22. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, you could say the same about, like, Barcelona and some other, uh, some other clubs, but that's because they have yeah. boatloads of money, right? Sure. But Ajax is a... Is Allegedly. A sm- well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ajax is a smaller club. Right. Um, but they have developed this system that creates greatness from a young age, and it goes all the way up to their first team. Mm-hmm. And I think out of all the clubs in MLS, RSL is best poised to become that. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because I think you're right. Like, And again, only time will tell the level of commitment to that ethos, to that blueprint, but uh, at the current juncture... Where you've got, you know, Elliot and Rob, Beltran, Freddie and his staff, and then Arnold Reisenberg, Tom Spall, and their staffs at the academy, I do feel like there is an alignment of vision and a commitment to implementing exactly that. That, and whether we call it an IX model, I think spiritually it is. We are going to grow our own. We're going to take all the kids we can get from. You know, when Martin Vasquez was here, it was a lot of kids from all over the Southwest. Now, um, you know, it is kids from all over. And, you know, the, the scuttlebutt, I guess, is that at some point in the next few years, some of those territorial restrictions around the academy are going to dissolve. And, I mean, I think it was just in the last week that Roma announced that they're going to have kind of a New York state-based academy, which is much more of a marketing and branding presence in the U.S. than than a player recruitment and academy development. I feel like Barcelona's done the same thing. Yeah, Barcelona, it's not like, exactly. Yeah, it's and just, so, anyway, I want to let you get out of here in a reasonable amount of time, but how would you advise whoever the next owner is to... You know, putting your marketing hat, your digital hat, all these hats on. What is the best way for this club to connect with people, not who are just as committed as you, but the casual fan as well? You know, because the media landscape has changed so significantly, you know, everywhere, but here locally as well. And, you know, we're all bombarded with a million marketing messages a day. How does RSL kind of break through that clutter uh, whenever we kind of, I guess, return to semi-normalcy out of this COVID-affected world and um, independent of what's happening on the field. I know winning is the it's the magic bullet. It, it covers up all sins, erases all sins, but it's the one thing you can't control as a business and as a, as a brand uh, manager, a marketer, whatever we want to call um, those people. So how do, how, do, how do you continue to connect, engage, embolden uh, the fan base, because with every new year comes new hope. And the great thing about MLS is is there is a lot of parity, unlike what we see in 
in many leagues and many sports around the world. So I think there's always going to be that optimism. I look at the success of teams in Europe, um, specifically the Premier League. Yeah. The way that they grew, um, and this is before all the TV contracts began, and you know, in, in the late '80s, early '90s, when mm-hmm. this is, um, you know, I don't know a ton of the history of English soccer. I try to stay educated as much as I can, but I mean, these clubs grew from the ground up. They were watching their local kids play, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, you had guys that that were getting signed to the first team that lived two blocks from the stadium. Yeah, sure. In my mind, if RSL is going to be successful, it, it look, we're a small media market. We're never going to be LAFC. We're never going to be any of the New York teams or Atlanta. So the way that we succeed is by being Utah's club. Yeah. The club has to reflect the community. And it felt like it did 10 years ago. Hmm. Um, I think it's lost a little bit of that over the last couple of years. And this is beyond anything that happened last year. Yeah. I think just in general. Um, and I think that's bound to happen. It's, it's cyclical, right? Right. Happens in every business. I think this new generation, well, yeah, we can call it RSL 4.0 or MLS mm-hmm. 4.0 or whatever. As everything grows and the league gets bigger, RSL has to become about Salt Lake, about Utah. And reflecting this society, the club has its grassroots, mm. its service, its being out in the communities, its engaging with the fans and the supporters, helping in, in asking for them their help in whatever it sure. may be. You know, yeah. uh, what is the message? What is the the look? What is the feel? And how does that reflect the society and this culture? Here in Utah, because we're like I said, we're never going to be some global brand, right? Um, as much as we want to say, you know, we want to be the the premier North American club. Sure, it, it's it's probably not realistic, but what we can be is a mirror for this community. And you know, as a marketer, I have ideas of how how that yeah. could happen. Yeah, sure. Um, I think a lot of people have some ideas, and I think part of that is getting these ideas Mm. and talking to the community. Um, Most professional sports leagues um, in the, in the U S are much older, right? Sure. So they've had lots of time to, I mean, MLS is a generation in RSL is not even a full generation. in. Still so young. Yeah. Um, You know, we don't have the history of something like major league baseball where you have, you know, several generations of identity and culture that have been ingrained into these clubs from the communities, right? So for Salt Lake, in my opinion, it needs to really embrace where it is, who it is, reflect the community in its values, in its in its identity. Uh, I think we're heading in the right direction. You know, you look at the RSL way. Yeah. And what was your take on the RSL way? I thought it was great. Putting it out there is amazing. I thought it was great. Uh, you and like, I have had conversations. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to to talk the things. talk and yeah. and then walk the walk, and the, and they put it all out there. And I think that's uh, you know, it's something Tony and Elliot had wanted to do uh, from before COVID, and then uh, certainly with uh, John Kimball's stewardship, uh, they were able to make it happen. And and I think it's fantastic. I think that's a great first step. Sure. In 
being transparent mm. in showing the community, here's how we want to do stuff. We're imperfect, but we're going to try. Yeah. Um, I think transparency is a huge, a huge deal. Uh, especially with this small market. If people feel like they're, they're being deceived, they're mm. just going to go somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why Columbus was so successful. I know Dunny talked about it. You know, they felt like they were being deceived mm. under previous ownership. Yeah. And now they feel like they're being served. They're being listened to. Mm. And it reflects with what's on the field, right? Even if they hadn't won the championship, they still yeah. would have felt like, a greatly successful season and a successful club. I think RSL has that chance where it's going to get to the point if, if the team can really reflect the community, if the team can be honorable and transparent and open with the fans in terms Mm -hmm. of getting feedback, I think the fans will come out in greater and greater numbers because they're going to feel like they are a part of this club. And ultimately the wins and losses won't matter as much because they are going to feel more connected. But I do feel like as that connection grows, the success of the academy yeah. will be better. The success on the field with the first team will ultimately be better. Awesome. I love your optimism, your view, and uh, your perspective. Really appreciate you hanging out with us today. And uh, yeah, Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to have you on again uh, as we get into the season and uh, continue down this road as we look to celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. Kiros Louder, thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, as always, to Bleeding Claret and Cobalt, where we celebrate the past, present, and future of Real Salt Lake. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Claret Cobalt. We are always up for banter, corrections, omissions, guest suggestions, RSL memories, or whatever. You can also use the message function at anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt, or drop us a voice memo by email via rsltray at gmail.com. This show is produced independently by me, Trey Fitzgerald, and Mountain Air Media. We record at Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed Here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Get to know RSL from the inside out. Thank you for listening. Looking forward to talking to you soon.